0: Chapter 5 of Love Romances of the Aristocracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Love Romances of the Aristocracy by Thornton Hall. Chapter 5 A Ghostly Visitant there is scarcely a chapter in the story of the british peerage more tragic and mysterious than that which chronicles the closing days of thomas second lord lyttelton whose dissolute life had its fitting climax of horror at the exact moment foretold to him by a ghostly visitor various and somewhat conflicting accounts are given of this singular tragedy but in them all the chief incidents stand out so clear and unassailable that even such a hard-headed sceptic as dr johnson declared i am so glad to have evidence of the spiritual world that i am willing to believe it thomas second lord lyttelton son of the first baron the distinguished poet and historian was the degenerate descendant of five centuries of lyttelton ancestors who had held their heads among the highest in the county of worcester since the days of the third henry unlike his clean living forefathers he was famous as a debauchee in a dissolute age of his morals sir bernard burke says we may judge by the fact of his having died the victim of the coarsest debauchery and leaving behind him a diary more disgustingly licentious than the pages of aratine himself william coombe who has been at eton with littleton is said to have had his old schoolfellow in mind when he dedicated his diaboliad to the worst man in his majesty's dominions and when he penned those terrible lines have i not tasted every villain's part have i not broke a noble parent's heart do i not daily boast how i betrayed the tender widow and the virtuous maid from the days when he wore his eton jacket the life of this perverse lord seems to have been one long record of profligacy at least until that day but six years before its end when to quote his own words i awoke and behold i was a lord from the time when mr stanley makeower writes although no more than a youth of nineteen his engagement to general warburton's daughter had been broken off on the discovery of the vicious life he had led in his travels in france and italy he had been a source of shame and trouble to his family to measure the depths of Lyttleton's vices, it is necessary to read his own letters, in which the literary style is as perfect as the fearless admission of fault is bewildering. Indeed, even more remarkable than the viciousness of his life was the brazen openness with which he flaunted it in the face of the world with this depravity were oddly allied gifts of mind and graces of person which but for the handicap of vice should have made lord lyttleton one of the most eminent and useful men of his time when he was at eton dr bernard the headmaster predicted a great future for the boy whose talents he declared were superior to those of young fox in literature and art his natural endowment was such that he might easily have won a leading place in either profession while his gifts of statesmanship and his eloquent tongue might with equal ease have won fame and high position in the arena of politics shortly after he succeeded to his barony he married the widow of joseph peach governor of calcutta and for a time seems to have made an effort to reform his ways, but the vice in his blood was quick to reassert itself. He abandoned his wife under the spell of a barmaid's eyes, and plunged again into the morass of depravity, in which alone he could find the pleasure he loved. Such was Lord Littleton at the time this story opens, when, although still a young man, he was but thirty-five when he died, he was a nervous and physical wreck draining the last dregs of the cup of pleasure and yet how little he seems to have realised that he was near the end of his tether the following story proves one day in the last month of his life a cousin and boon companion mr fortescue called on him at his london home he found to quote the words of his lordship's stepmother lord lyttleton in bed though not ill and on his rallying him for it lord lyttleton said well cousin if you will wait in the next room a little while i will get up and go out with you he did so and the two young men walked out into the streets in the course of their walk they crossed the churchyard of st james's piccadilly lord Littleton, pointing to the gravestones said now look at these vulgar fellows they die in their youth at five-and-thirty but you and i who are gentlemen shall live to a good old age how little could he have anticipated that within a few days he too would be lying among the vulgar fellows who die in their youth at five-and-thirty and indeed there seemed little evidence of such a tragic possibility for the very next day he was charming the house of lords with a speech of singular eloquence and statesmanlike grasp the speech of a man in the prime of his powers such efforts as this however were but as the spasmodic flickerings of a candle that is burning to its end and were followed by deeper plunges into the dissipations that were surely killing him it was towards the close of the month of november in seventeen seventy nine that lord lyttleton left london and its fatal allurements for a few days peaceful life at his country seat Pitt place at epsom in those days a fashionable health resort where he had invited a house-party including several ladies to join him and it should be said no host could possibly be more charming and gracious for in spite of his depraved tastes lord lyttleton was a man of remarkable fascination a wit a born raconteur and a courtier to his fingertips. during the first day of his residence at epsom the following incident which may or may not have had a bearing on the strange events that followed took place lord lyttleton to quote sir digby neave had come to Pitt place in very precarious health and was ordered not to take any but the gentlest exercise as he was walking in the conservatory with lady affleck and the misses a robin perched on an orange-tree close to them lord lyttleton attempted to catch it but failing and being laughed at by the ladies he said he would catch it even if it was the death of him he succeeded but he put himself in a great heat by the exertion he gave the bird to lady affleck who walked about with it in her hand on the following morning his lordship appeared at the breakfast-table so pale and haggard that his guests alarmed at his appearance asked what was the matter for a time he evaded their enquiries and then made the following startling statement last night he said after i had been lying in bed awake for some time i heard what sounded like the tapping of a bird at my window followed by a gentle fluttering of wings about my chamber i raised myself on my arm to learn the meaning of these strange sounds and was amazed at seeing a lovely female dressed in white with a small bird perched like a falcon on her hand walking towards me the vision spoke commanding me to prepare for death for i had but a short time to live when i was able to command my speech i inquired how long i had to live the vision then replied not three days and you will depart at the hour of twelve such was the remarkable story with which lord lyttleton startled his guests on the morning of twenty fourth november seventeen seventy nine in vain they tried to cheer him and to laugh away his fears they could make no impression on the despondency that had settled on him they could not shake the conviction that he was a doomed man you will see was all the answer he would vouchsafe i shall die at midnight on saturday but in spite of this alarming experience and the gloomy forebodings to which in his shattered state of nerves it gave birth lord littleton did not long allow it to interfere with the work he had in hand the preparation of a speech on the disturbed condition in ireland which he was to deliver in the house of lords that very day a speech which should enhance his great and rapidly growing reputation as an orator he spent some hours absorbed in polishing and repolishing his sentences and in verifying his facts and when he rose in the house he was as full of confidence as of his subject never it was the common verdict had his lordship spoken with more eloquence and lucidity or with more powerful grasp of his subject and his hearers cast your eyes for a moment he declared amid impressive silence on the state of the empire america that vast continent with all its advantages to us as a commercial and maritime people lost forever lost to us the west indies abandoned ireland ready to part from us ireland my lords is armed and what is her language give us free trade and the free constitution of england as it originally was such as we hope it will remain the best calculated of any in the world for the preservation of freedom it was the speech of a far-seeing statesman and although it proved but the voice of one crying in the wilderness lord littleton felt that he had done his duty and had crowned his growing political fame with the laurels of the patriot and the orator on the following morning fortescue met his cousin sauntering in st james's park as mr MacHour tells us with the idleness of one who has never known what occupation means is it because hillsborough the stupidest of your brother Piers, paid you such fine compliments on your speech he asked littleton smiled faintly no it was not of that i was thinking he answered those are things of yesterday hillsborough was wrong the majority who voted with him were wrong and i was right with my minority they don't know ireland as i do but a government which can lose america can do anything i have done with politics i was thinking of something entirely different when you came upon me i was thinking of death fortescue laughed but when he had heard the story of littleton's dream something in the manner of the narrator conveyed to him a feeling of uneasiness no man has more thoroughly enjoyed doing wrong than i have continued littleton but i should not have enjoyed it so much if i believed in nothing with me sin has been conscientious and i enjoyed the wrong thing not only for itself but also because it was wrong suppose it be true that i have not more than three days to live you take the thing too seriously interposed his cousin join me at Pitt place to-morrow said littleton then you shall see if i take it too seriously during the intervening two days he fluctuated between profound gloom and boisterous hilarity one hour he was plunged into the depths of despair the next he was the soul of gaiety laughing hysterically at his fears and exclaiming i shall cheat the lady yet during dinner on the third and fatal day he was the maddest and merriest at the table convulsing all by his sallies of wit and his infectious high spirits and when the cloth was removed he exclaimed jubilantly ah richard is himself again but his gaiety was short-lived as the hours wore on his spirits deserted him he lapsed into gloom and silence from which all the efforts of his friends could not rouse him as the night advanced he began to grow restless he could not sit still but paced to and fro with terror-haunted eyes muttering incoherently to himself and taking out his watch every few moments to note the passage of time at last when his watch pointed to half-past eleven he retired without a word of farewell to his guests to his bedroom not knowing that not only his own watch but every clock and watch in the house had been put forward half an hour by his anxious friends to deceive him into comfort having undressed and gone to bed he ordered his valet to draw the curtains at the foot as if to screen him from a second sight of the mysterious lady and sitting up in bed watching in hand he awaited the fatal hour of midnight as the minute-hand slowly but surely drew near to twelve he asked to see his valet's watch and was relieved to find that it marked the same time as his own with beating heart and straining eyes he watched the hand draw nearer and nearer a minute more to go half a minute now it pointed to the fateful twelve and nothing happened it crept slowly past the crisis was over he put down the watch with a deep sigh of relief and then broke into a peal of laughter discordant jubilant defiant this mysterious lady is not a true prophetess i find he said to his valet after spending a few minutes in further mirthful waiting and now give me my medicine i will wait no longer the valet proceeded to mix his usual medicine a dose of rhubarb stirring it as no spoon was at hand with a toothbrush lying on the table you dirty fellow his lordship exclaimed go down and fetch a spoon when the servant returned a few minutes later he found to his horror his master lying back on the pillow unconscious and breathing heavily he ran downstairs again shouting help help my lord is dying the alarmed guests rushed frantically to the chamber only to find their host almost at his last gasp a few moments later he was dead with the watch still clutched in his hand pointing to half-past twelve he had died at the very stroke of midnight as foretold by his ghostly visitant of three nights previously thus strangely and dramatically died thomas second lord Littleton, statesman wit and debauchee precisely as he had been warned that he would die in a dream or vision of the night how far his death was due to natural causes to the effect of fear on a diseased heart none can say with certainty that his heart was diseased that he had had many former seizures during which his life seemed in danger is beyond question but if it was merely coincidence it was surely the most remarkable coincidence on record that his death should come at the exact moment foretold by the lady of his vision as related by himself three days before the event such a happening was strange and weird enough in all conscience but it was no more inexplicable on natural grounds than what follows among lord Lyttelton's boon companions was a mr andrews with whom he had often discussed the possibilities of a future life on one such occasion his lordship had said well if i die first and am allowed i will come and inform you the words were probably spoken more in jest than in earnest and mr andrews no doubt little dreamt how the promise would be fulfilled on the night of lord littleton's death mr andrews who expected his lordship to pay him a visit on the following day had retired to bed at his house at dartford in kent when in bed to quote from mr plumer ward's illustrations of human life he fell into a sound sleep but was waked between eleven and twelve o'clock by somebody opening his curtains it was lord Lyttelton in a nightgown and cap which andrews recognised he also spoke plainly to him saying that he was come to tell him all was over it seems that lord lyttleton was fond of horse-play and as he had often made andrews the subject of it the latter had threatened his lordship with physical chastisement the very next time that it should occur on the present occasion thinking that the annoyance was being renewed he threw at lord lyttleton's head the first thing that he could find his slippers the figure retreated towards a dressing-room which had no ingress or egress except through the bedchamber, and andrews very angry leaped out of bed in order to follow it into the dressing-room it was not there however surprised and amazed he returned at once to the bedroom which he strictly searched the door was locked on the inside yet no lord lyttleton was to be found in his perplexity mr andrews rang for his servant and asked if lord lyttleton had not arrived the man answered no sir you may depend upon it said mr andrews thoroughly mystified and out of humour that he is somewhere in the house he was here just now and he is playing some trick or other however you can tell him that he won't get a bed here he can sleep in the stable or at the inn if he likes after a further vain search of the bedchamber and the dressing-room mr andrews returned to bed and to sleep having no doubt whatever that his too jocular friend was in hiding somewhere near on the afternoon of the following day news came to him that lord lyttleton had died the previous night at the very time that he mr andrews was searching for his midnight visitant and abusing him roundly for what he considered his ill-timed practical joke on hearing the news we are told mr andrews swooned away and such was its effect on him that to use his own words he was not himself or a man again for three years. End of chapter 5